Thank you for joining us on another week of Surviving Creativity. It's the show all about following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and surviving the process. Surviving Creativity is made possible by listeners like you. If you like what you hear, go on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity and please consider becoming a patron. Surviving Creativity is now available on iTunes. Just search Surviving Creativity and add our podcast to your queue. I'm your co-host, Corey Cassoni, and I'm joined every week by cartoonists Scott Kurtz and Brad Geiger. This week, very special guest. We have with us the author and illustrator of Northwest Passage, Two Generals, and probably most notably the Three Thieves series, Canadian cartoonist Scott Chandler. We talk comics in the book market, the illusion of success, and all about bagged Canadian milk. We know you're going to love it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy another week of Surviving Creativity. I think we're good to go. Oh, good. Oh my God, we have a pic- we have a picture. Yeah. You got a picture what? of you. Oh, uh, of me? Yeah. So, and what's funny is the it's uh, is it an Xbox One? It is. The camera's following you, which is creepy as shit. Oh, yeah. Yes. Look at oh, it following yes. him around. Oh. I don't know if any of you guys have an Xbox One, but it's like weird. Yeah. Like when when people walk into the room, it says hello to them and recognizes them, and it's watching know. you all the time. It's it's a little disturbing. Uh, we've got Mr. Scott Chandler with us today, uh, famed Canadian cartoonist uh, of Canadian cartoons. <laughs> Why are you the best kind? <laughs> the best kind. Uh, Only the politest cartoons. And we're talking That's about right. we're talking about the creepiness of the Xbox One. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Did you guys see? And this is completely off topic. Uh, did you see the the new Samsung privacy policies on their televisions? No. Oh, I did see something come across there that they're collecting uh, data, right? Yeah. So much like the Xbox One, they have, they have voice recognition software, and the idea is that if you walk in the room, start talking to your TV on that kind of thing. So it's always capturing a little bit of data. Like always. And oh, in their privacy cool. policy, it basically says, we, we encourage you not to say things, in, uh, private or personal <laughs> things in front of your television. <laughs> oh my gosh. How 1984 is that? That's oh, very, very, uh, Xbox, that's, stop watching me jerk off. Yeah, yeah, that's alarming. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not great. We've done it to oh, ourselves, man. I know, we right? We just willingly just jumped into it. Well, that was going to be my point. It's it, That's not going to slow down the sales of that TV in the slightest. People are going to happily agree to that, assume that nothing bad's ever going to happen to them, and go merrily along. Yeah. You know, there's been a smoke-filled room somewhere where executives <laughs> are looking at numbers of kids that will just click to sign up for anything and put all the, their information in and go, gentlemen, in one generation, we have them. Yeah. Because kids now, they'll fucking put, they'll, it's just a default. <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm getting to the age now where it's like, 
oh, what's this service? I gotta, I gotta give you all my information. <laughs> I don't need it. Do you remember? Do you remember the early days of the internet when how? concerned we all were about privacy in sort of 1999 2000 how what a mm-hmm. you know going into the 21st century all these concerns about privacy i remember there was an uh, like a west wing episode about it there you know all this kind of stuff and it's just amazing how quickly we all just kind of gave up on that <laughs> you know we, yeah. the the whole notion of public privacy uh went out the window at some point in the past and uh, you know, just kind of with a shrug. Well, <laughs> well yeah, you know. privacy has become a TLDR situation. Too long, didn't read. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's uh, it's gonna get interesting. I think I think we're gonna see the the pendulum's gonna swing the other way. We're gonna see the reverse aspect of that. The to add insult to injury on this Samsung thing. Uh, so now on these new TVs that are now out in the wild, you know, that's how these privacy reports got noticed in the in the first place. These privacy policies. Now people that are using these TVs, you can store local content on it. It's like you own a movie, you can, you know, you you have it on your NAS or whatever, you can watch it on your TV. Every 20 yeah. to 30 minutes, it's throwing you an ad on your own content. <gasps> no way. Yes. Oh, that's evil. <laughs> <laughs> that's downright evil. You should Yeah. That and there it and, and people are going to take it too. Here's what's evil. I have a DVR that records two programs programs at once. That's right. Two programs can be running at the same time and it'll record them both while I'm away. So what NBC decided was, well, he wants to record Parks and Rec and that goes from 8 to 9 and The Flash also goes from 8 to 9. But we don't want him recording The Flash and our Parks and Rec episodes are 30 minutes apiece. So why don't we have the first one overlap into the second one? The first episode actually goes until 8.32, and the second episode starts at 8.30, so they overlap. Uh-huh. So since they're already recording Parks and Rec from 8 to 9, we're going to forbid them from recording The Flash because for a two-minute period, they're recording three episodes, and that's a no-go. Wow. So it bumps wow. my Flash recording. That's, That's what you get for watching network getting. television. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I feel the same way. <laughs> Just wait for it to come on to, on onto the interwebs and in the yeah. interwebs where you've Sorry. given we've given away all of our information anyway. What? Just just wait. They have it. That's the return as we get the things ad free. Except that now it's not ad free. Now they slap ads and everything. Uh, real quick, Scott. Can I just watch the fucking Flash, please? No. <laughs> no. No, you may not. Oh, not if you're also watching Parks and Rec. Scott, your it's, connection is terrible. So is it really? Yeah, you're coming in and out hard. Okay, wait a minute. Scott, I know what to do. Scott, me, Scott, or Scott no, Kurtz? No, sorry, Scott Kurtz, Scott. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to figure this out. Uh, yeah. What, what we need is... No, no, I can, I I can be Chandler. I go by, I, I'll go by anything. You call me whatever you'd like. Except Nan- Scott. Nancy? Nancy would be fine. <laughs> what about now? How's my connection now? Well, you'd have to talk a little bit, and we'd have to listen. All right. Well, I just want to tell you that The Flash is a really amazing show, and sure. I don't want to hear any shit about your fucking hippies and Canadians with your network TV is bad. <laughs> the hippies and Canadians. Hippies and Canadians. <laughs> I, can, I can have a good connection if I don't surf and stuff, which is fine. I should have undivided attention. You're surfing the web? <laughs> I might have been. We're we're working here. 
I'm 100% with you now. I've got my cup of coffee. I'm not surfing, and I'm watching Scott's Xbox slowly <laughs> plot his death. Right. <laughs> it's coming I'd for me. Slowly plot his death. Keeping his head I've, shot well within. <laughs> Who is on The Flash? Who's, who's the showrunner on it? I know Mark Guggenheim does Arrow. And I love Arrow, and I love Mark Guggenheim. I don't. I think Jeff Johns is like the head writer. Really? Who is it? It should be Guggenheim. I I refuse to look it up because I'm I'm focusing on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm excited about though. The guy that plays John Diggle, very coyly, said he could not confirm nor deny that the showrunners are contemplating the concept of him becoming Green Lantern. Oh, I love that plan. And then it would be Green Lantern, Green Arrow team up on that show. Yes. That has to happen. Please, let's do it. <laughs> I feel like I should be watching The Flash because I have little kids. I have kids who are 11 and 8, which is when I was that age, I would have just been all over all these superhero TV shows. But my kids are just not into it. Like I had to drag them to the Avengers. What? Wow. Really? You know what I mean? My kids are part of that generation that that, that comics kind of abandoned a little bit. Teach and, us more I mean, about. They're, this they're into. I mean, they're into comics. I mean, they're into comics. They're into Bone. They're into Raina Telgemeier. They're into you know that kind of stuff. But superhero stuff, they just they they wouldn't even know what the Flash was if I wasn't telling them. Hey, we should be watching the Flash. You know what was that? How old are they? They're eleven and eight. What's weird is yeah. I'm totally okay with that. I know that sounds yeah. that sounds awful, yeah. but I I I love that there's a generation that could give an f about superheroes. Yeah, well, I don't, I've, I've got a 12 year old and a nine year old, and they've been immersed in comics culture uh, from the start. I mean, they are, they they can they can tell you some deep catalog stuff about characters like Nightwing and Robin that I've got to turn around and go back and look up. Wow. So I don't know that it skipped them entirely. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's 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 good to know. It's good to know that but, there but, are. Uh, but it's fascinating that there that that you your guys are choosing Bone over like like Green Lantern. That's that's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's that fascinating at all. I think it's the it's it's every other country except for America when it comes to comics. Hey Corey. Yeah. The showrunner is Andrew Kreisberg. Kreisberg, listen to me right now. <laughs> You go find Googs. He's on the lot. I know it. And just hand over the reins. Why? No, it's a very, it's a, it's a different ship. Go find Googs. <laughs> no. I'm doing a good job. No. I got to watch the Flash fight Firestorm the Nuclear Man last night, and I don't want you ruining it. Listen. Jeez. They're both great shows. I'm telling you, Brad, last episode ended with Gorilla fucking Grodd, dude. <laughs> I got. I, I got to tell you, we had it all set up. Uh, my oldest and I, particularly, we were gonna binge watch Flash. And Friday after school, I'd been promising them for a long time. Actually, Thursday after school, I'd been promising them that they could go to GameStop and use the gift certificates that they had gotten for Christmas. And Alex has been asking for Destiny for a long time, and I've been holding off because I at the. Just going that extra step to a semi-realistic first-person shooter, I was a little bit hesitant for, uh, to 
but I kind of mm-hmm. was like, nah, you That's know me. what? He's he's pretty even minded. He's a he's a good kid. I, I it's not gonna you know it, it's not gonna turn him into a monster overnight. Uh, and we we got Destiny, and he play, he's been playing it nonstop ever since uh, Saturday night. I went to bed, and, and I, as I usually do, uh, and I said, turn off the lights when you come upstairs because it's not a school night. They're very respect. He was up until four o'clock in the morning. Oh no! Oh, oh no! And so we got up the next morning and had a long, long talk yeah, man. about responsibility and. Uh, it, it, taking a good thing and pushing it too far. And (laughs) needless to say that bonked our entire weekend because he He was was half asleep all day Sunday. Because he was destroyed. (laughs) So yeah, my, my whole plan of binge watching flash went out the window thanks to destiny. And now I'm like, Oh God, how quickly can I get rid of that fucking video game? I'm sorry, but that freaking (laughs) video game. Flash is good. Look, I don't have a problem with the Flash. It's a great show. I just, I love Arrow. I love Mark. I like the idea that Scott's kids prefer other comics, though. I do too. Yeah. You know why? I grew up liking Asterix before I liked superheroes. It's because his kids drink milk in bags. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) What? (laughs) Canadians drink milk from bags. They do. Yeah, we yeah, have you cartons. Get a, you get a. They have you bags. Get like a bag. It's like th- three milk comes in like three bags inside a bigger bag, and you put the bag inside the pitcher, and you clip the little corner off the bag. And yet, Americans are fascinated by our bagged milk. <laughs> Not Michiganders. That's it's, how we had it growing up too. <laughs> nice. It's but like might he, as well be Canada. It's like it's Chandler true. lives in a different country. It's crazy. Yeah. Am I your first international guest? Is this Wait, the uh, is he? Oh, question? Yeah, uh, uh, you might have interviewed someone at Emerald City one year, but I, I think he might be. Well, I I know I got Anthony Johnson one time for the five questions at M City, but I don't count the five question episodes. We'll do those again too, by the way. But like, See? they're right. you know, it's it's a whole uh, menagerie of people. But uh, All right. let's talk to Scott about comics and not milk. well i am here to answer all of your you know uh canadian related uh questions but uh if if you want to talk about comics too that's fine well i think we really just got you on the show to bitch at you about how jealous we are that the government your government provides you with free isbn numbers and codes (laughs) (laughs) and that they give you grants for making art you have to pay for an isbn number there yes no no i'm sorry no Because you can't buy just one. We yeah. pay for 10 at a time. Yeah, that's And true. they're really, really, really expensive. Yes. Yes. They're, 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 I, I, last it. I checked, it was upwards of about $250 for a set of 10. Uh, I had yeah, not that's heard about that. right. That's, yeah. Well, that's something else my country's doing right. Go Canada. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you guys are all Add so... Add it to the list. You're Add so, it to the list. You're so humble and laid back about the wonderful things that you have. I encourage you to move... To where mm. we've privatized everything and see how good it is, <laughs> how well it's worked about out for there. us. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, if we if we move to Canada, we could make the comics that we make on on the Canadian dime. Really? Is that is that really true, Scott? I I actually have I've tried a couple times to get a, a Canada Council grant, the federal grant, and been unsuccessful. But but certainly lots of people. That's uh, shocking do, to do, me. 
do receive grants. Yeah, that, that's never... really surprising me that you have had trouble getting getting that grant. You, I, I mean, just, you I of all people. Yeah, I like I, I I just I think I'm just really bad at writing grant applications. <laughs> you know, I just <laughs> I don't know. I gotta I gotta try harder on my applications. Like a lot of it just know. comes down to the writing process. Yeah, I don't know. Isn't it I'm harder as a, as like a sole person than maybe a company? Uh, y- you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I gotta, I gotta try to unlock some of the secrets of uh, of, of landing a grant, you know. But I'm, I'm lazy. I'm a lazy it's, Canadian. For those who don't understand, Corey, explain it. Uh, Canada, uh, and and Chandler might explain it better. But Canada has a a uh, uh, what is this? The Arts Council, right? It's yeah, the Canada Council for the Arts. Sure. So Canada Council for the Arts, and it's similar to what we used to have uh, back in the day, the, the National Endowment for the Arts, which is all but non-existent these days. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people sitting in a D.C. office cringing at me saying that right because now. Because it's Maplethorpe. Right. <laughs> uh, and the, uh, uh, what is the Canadian Council for the Arts, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they provide money to people to make things, to make art. And you write a grant and you say, I want to make this, and then they give you money. Some... Some famous things that were made on this. The game Fez was made on that. There's been a, just a bucket load of comics. Um, Australia has a very similar program as well. Tin Man Games is made. But you can't have, you can only have like one American on your team. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Canadians, right? It's they're, Yeah, they're, there are a lot of, there's a lot of. We share uh, a big border and they want to make sure that nobody's cheating the system. Exactly, exactly. I was approached. But yeah, by- it's. I mean, I mean, and certainly there's a lot of arguments here about you know, is the Canada Council getting too much funding? Is it funded enough? You know, you know, the conservatives always want to cut it. You know, liberals always want it. You know, boosted. It's uh, you know, it's a lot of the same politics. Don't take you know, it away, as, man. As Don't let them take it there, away. But no, no, it's uh, it's. But it's a little more sort of there was a, culture, I guess. There was a brief moment of time when Nelvana was interested in making a PvP. Uh, animated series they were toying with the idea and I had a meeting with them in San Diego and I said well I have a friend that I write with I would like him to come write with us and they said can't do it because you're the one American we get otherwise we don't get our grant money yeah to help make it (laughs) yeah wow yeah I'd be the one I would fill up all the percentage of their team that can be American yeah yeah they they want to make sure that grant money is going to Canadians and and uh yeah like i've i've sort of butted heads with that uh requirement a couple times myself on a couple things talk to us about uh comics in canadia because i i having been there several times and worked with a lot of canadian creators i get a totally different uh vibe from canada when it comes to comics yeah i mean uh when you were at oni i mean it seemed like Half of Oni's creators were Canadian. There, there was, was a, a period of time, yeah, where there were a lot something, of something, yeah, something going on there. But it's, it's, it's um, in the milk. I mean, it's something in the bag of milk. <laughs> yeah, it's the bag of milk. Bag of the milk. Yeah, I mean, certainly Toronto. I mean, I I live about an hour and a half from Toronto, so I'm I'm generally kind of lumped in with that scene. But there's a huge comic scene in Toronto. So many creators. You can. It's 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 probably like, you know, kind of what Portland's like. It's just. You know, you can barely, uh, you know, throw a rock in the street without it hitting a professional comics creator. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's certainly uh, certainly lots going on in Toronto. Um, the, the rest of the country, I know, there's little pockets here and there. You know, Vancouver's uh, there's a scene in Vancouver. There's a uh, you know a few people out in Halifax. Um, I don't know what it was about Halifax. Uh, you know, 
you know, maybe 10 years or so ago, like, like Brian Lee O'Malley moved out there and Darwin Cook moved out there and Kate Beaton's from Halifax and Faith mm-hmm. Aaron Hicks is from Halifax. And there was just something, something going on in Halifax. Uh, yeah, who knows? What, uh, what is really interesting to me, and I and I think this is something that you've spoken about before, um, Chandler, is that uh, there's comics are a little more accessible. I feel like in Canada and and through bookstore, I know that there is a larger bookstore market per capita uh, in in Canada than uh, in the U.S. I think it's easier to get books into the Canadian book market there, uh, and I had that experience when I was at Oni as well, selling books in into the Canadian library scene and into um, the Canadian book markets, it just felt like it was an e- it was easier to get a buy. Yeah, hmm. I don't um, I don't have a lot of experience with the American market, but it's um, it seems like that's the case. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd just be guessing it at why that is. Um, Drawn and Quarterly is here, which I think may you know. Um, you know, Maybe. been a good thing in terms of sort of that sort of, you know, literary comics market. Um, They've trained, you know, maybe. The, trained the marketplace maybe a little bit to be accustomed to that. Yeah. Because I know for, yeah. for you, a good chunk of your career has been in, in sort of, uh, uh, you know, a cartoony style um, uh, book market books. I mean, the majority, uh-huh. I, I would say your last three or four books have all been for a kind of a major Canadian book publisher, right? Yeah, more than that. It's more like six or seven now. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, it's um, since 2007. Well, since I did Northwest Passage uh, with Oni, um, really everything I've done has been with Canadian, you know, mass market book publishers. This is the equivalent of like a Scholastic or a, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, like yeah. an actual, like a book book publisher. Yeah, I did... Um, 2007 was a big year for me because that that collected edition of Northwest Passage came out and you know it wasn't a you know monster hit or anything but it was a moderate enough success that a lot of publishers you know came looking saying what would you like to do next and um you know because it had you know a Canadian history vibe uh McClellan Stewart who was a big uh literary you know probably I think the oldest literary publisher in Canada um uh, a friend of mine, uh, who's a designer, Jennifer Lum, uh, had just started working there, and she was really trying to get some graphic novels going there. And she said, "You know, what have you got that you know would kind of be like Northwest Passage, and that you know it's got you know some Canadiana and some history and that kind of stuff." And I had always wanted to do this book, uh, Two Generals, about uh, my grandfather's experiences in the Second World War. So I pitched them that, and they they went for it immediately. So it was their first graphic novel. Like this is the publisher that publishes Margaret Atwood and you, you know they've published the memoirs of a bunch of Canadian prime ministers like they are you know they are like serious like literary publishers uh, but they put out this uh, book which is the book I'm best known for here I don't know I, I you know I, I I've looked at the numbers and it it uh, doesn't do very well for us in the US but uh, which is to uh, me like, is bizarre because that is an amazing it, book I, well, I think it's you. your best book. thank you yeah thank you thank you it's certainly you know, obviously very personal and, uh, and I just about killed myself on that book. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, just, you know, 90 hour weeks, you know, just doing all that research and the, the full-time research was, was, you know, uh, I, I don't even want to, don't even want to go back there talking about it, <laughs> go back into the tunnel. Um, 
All the research then, you guys do is crazy. Yeah. If you look at what uh, Schweitzer or Peterson do when they're yeah. building, like, I see you guys doing this stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, should I be doing this? No. <laughs> Schweitzer is nuts. I, I love yeah. I love Schweitzer. Uh, it was actually what I was telling Corey yesterday. It's what got me started listening to your guys' podcast was because you had him on and, and, and Chris is a friend. And it's always you know nice to have a friend's voice on uh, in, the, in the room while you're working. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, he's, I see some of the stuff he's doing. I am nowhere near that ambitious, you know, I am not building model ships and, uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing. He is, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, I like the research, but, uh, that is, uh, that is, that's nutty. That's nutty. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Both him and Peterson's like, well, I have to draw a house, better build it. but then the other stuff i've been doing kind of on the other end of the spectrum was that also in 2007 my kids were really young and and sort of you know scholastic and all these other publishers were you know getting into the game and i thought well i should have a pitch out there that's kind of for kids so i came up with this my my son when he was really young got the fisher price castle for christmas and asked if i could write something with a castle in it and so I came. I came up with this fantasy series, Three Thieves, which um, uh, uh, ended up being published by Kids Can Press. Uh, and it's this. I'm working on book six now, and I just finished writing book seven. So it's taken years, um, and you know has done uh, has done you know all right for us on on either side of the border. But uh, it's it's as different from two generals as night from day. I mean, obviously, I'm putting a lot into it too, because it's for my kids, and it's you know, it's it's. But it's just a lot of fun, you know. Two generals was fairly. I had to go some pretty dark, you know, places to, you know, imagine some of that stuff on behalf of the audience, and and uh, you know, the Three Thieves series is more just like anything I can think of that's really fun, you know, is in. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of nice to have that. I, I ended up doing the first book of that series at the same time as I was doing two generals, which I would not recommend doing two books at a time uh, like that. I'll never, <laughs> I'll never do that again. But, uh, <laughs> but that was kind of nice. Uh, it was kind of nice to you know be able to take a break from the one with the other. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like in terms of comics publishers, it's it's been a while, and and I sometimes feel like. Um, you know, my work does really well in the school and library market, which is kind of what you want. But, uh, you know, both the publishers I've worked with, while they're really good at, at some things, they've they've kind of all but ignored the, the comics market. They don't do, you know, they don't do conventions. They don't. I had to put them in a headlock just to get them to, you, you know, make the books available through Diamond. Uh, you know, that uh, kind of thing. That's an argument as someone who. Had? As someone who works with Diamond, I can understand why <laughs> yeah, any I mean, publisher wouldn't you know, want to deal yeah. with it. I mean, the direct market certainly has its problems, but you know, when I meet someone in the comics industry who you know, uh, you know, and they ask me, "Oh, so what have you been working on?" and I, you know, I just want to do the face palm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm six books into this series. You know, <laughs> that's so interesting, though, and yet yep. you're doing. Just fine. I mean, and you're with uh, Kids Can is one of the largest uh, Canadian kids book publishers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to decide if they're the largest, but I, you know, they'd certainly think they are. But I didn't want to say it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't compared, but uh, 
Yeah, they're they're up there. They have a lot of properties that are really big up here. And, and again, I don't know if they're big in the states, but like Franklin the Turtle is like a big thing up here. Big kids show, and they publish all those books. And uh, yeah, they uh, yeah they've been around. It's a many. It's amazing to me that with the internet, it's even with the internet, we still haven't connected a lot of these pockets because yeah. I remember – I, I can't tell you how many times I've had friends go to France or Belgium or anywhere in Europe and inevitably come home with a comic for me. Like, oh, we were in this store and we saw this comic and I thought of you and I bought it. And it's yep. beautiful and it's gorgeous and I've never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like how do we not – how is this not translated in here? And I mean – my first thought is that some of the American publishers are afraid because, like, it makes our stuff look stupid. Some of the stuff yeah. they're doing in Europe yeah, some of the just European makes oh, I know. really impressive. French, just makes yeah. our stuff look fucking like we're children walking in the dark. Um, yeah, yeah. I, but, I feel the same way when I look at a lot of European comics. They are so much better than we are at this. But yeah, they yeah. are. But. Yeah. But it's really interesting. Like I remember when I when I worked uh, or when I lived at this townhouse before we bought we bought this house, and they had this little kind of courtyard in the middle. It was the, all the townhouses were in a circle, so there were always families and stuff out front. And I would walk the dogs, and there was a, a young English couple, and we got to talking, and they asked me what I did. When I said I was a cartoonist, he said, "Well, when I grew up, my favorite comic, and you'll never have heard of it, was called Fred Bassett." And I said, "Oh, I know Fred Bassett." <laughs> And he almost fell off the bench that I knew <laughs> what Fred Bassett yeah. was because he said that no one here – everyone knows Snoopy and, and, and Garfield, but no one knows Fred Bassett. And that in um, – it's just, it's just interesting that the cultures haven't melded. And, and I think a yeah. lot – what's really interesting in the pop culture cultures – wow, Jesus – um, but like, like for example, all the Anglophiles now with BBC America and, and all that stuff. And my wife is super into Doctor Who and she says, God, why do they keep bringing – the Daleks are so stupid. Why do they keep bringing the Daleks and the Cybermen? And I said, the, the same reason that Star Trek will always have Klingons. Like yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it's been with them. It's a cultural milestone. Like – yeah, it is yeah. dumb. They know it's dumb, but they've been looking at it since they, since they were kids. Yeah, when it was scary. So you ha like you can't understand it culturally. Like we're we're too outside looking in. But you but yeah, when you understand that, you can appreciate it better. You mm -hmm. know, um, that's ah, interesting. Yeah, but I, I th th that you you touched on something that I really have always been frustrated with is the kind of sort of cliqueishness of of the industry and you know when i was like when i was being published by oni and 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 comics publishers you know i, I always wanted you know like let's get into let's get bookstore distribution let's get libraries you know why can't we you know I, i've always wanted to cast as wide a net as possible you want to move books right it's so hard and then, in the states especially when northwest yeah. passage was coming out when when yeah. northwest passage was coming out it was the early days of uh scholastics yeah. um graphic novel imprint now and and in a way they as a company they're 10 years on now uh at scholastic yeah. i can't remember i don't know why graphics is the name of their yes. is their comic imprint yeah they yeah. broke down all of these barriers for the whole industry into yeah. the book market and yeah. Not a lot of people are taking advantage of that. 
And part of the reason yeah. why is because they didn't just break down the borders. They also dominated the room. So mm -hmm. like yeah. now yeah. if you enter the book market, you're competing with these huge with Scholastic. Yeah, you're competing with yeah. Cold Spring McMillan and, and First Second and you're completing you're competing with Scholastic and their graphics imprint. You know, you're competing with some big publishers and they're doing yeah. uh, what is interesting to me is here in the in the in the comics market, in the direct market, we're so focused on like superhero thing and, you know, the gritty stuff. And uh, and we're finally starting to see some borders being crossed, uh, particularly image with like sex criminals and saga. And, and mm -hmm. you know, those things are starting to go a little bit both ways now, I think, yep. because mostly because of the net and young people. But at the end yeah. of the day those numbers are still nothing compared to what uh Reina is is doing with like smile or drama or oh yeah sister. yeah i mean yeah or or even like what kaizu is doing with amulet like those yeah. those books um are crushing and you know that what the it's the tamaki sister or i don't know if they're sisters or cousins maybe i think I think they're sisters. Are they sisters? But I but I don't know. I don't know either one personally, so don't don't quote me on that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure as well. They they yep. uh their graphic novel um I think it's called This One Summer. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking right now. Just one, won the Caldecott. Yeah. yeah. First ever yeah. Caldecott award given to a graphic yeah. novel. Wow. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really big deal. And uh I, I, you know, I feel like a change is coming, a new time is coming, but I feel like our, as publishers, the American publishers of, of comics are not ready they're, yeah. and they're going to get left yeah. behind because what's going to happen why I wish we could get Table Titans to be a, a Scholastic book. Well, listen, I just wish we could get it in front of kids. <laughs> Do you remember when we were, uh, yeah. Scott, you won't, you won't have this experience, but when we were growing up, Brad, Brad and Corey remember, mm -hmm. Every once in a while, the teachers would pass out this pamphlet for uh, the book fair, like troll yes. books or whatever. What was it? it was, yeah, we have uh, we had that. We still yeah, have it. Book fair. Oh, okay, my kids, my kids bring those scholastic home. Scholastic book fair. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it was books you couldn't get anywhere else. And it was the. I mean, that's where I would get all my Garfield books. Yeah, was through that. And it's like yeah. you would see books in there that were just so exciting and. And we were just so excited to get books and to read them, and, and um, th that little catalog really knew how to push yeah. books at you. That um, I remember, I ordered a young uh, a YA novel for girls <laughs> because I was a Judy Bloom <laughs> fan. I, I ordered I ordered what Tiger up? Eyes. <laughs> What's wrong with I that? I don't understand. I don't. Yeah, I think that's because uh, it was because yeah. I stopped reading it immediately because she. I think it's the book starts off. She's at someone's funeral, and it was really hot outside, and sweat was pooling in her cleavage. And I went, "Oh my god, this is not. For, whoa, whoa, this Hold is on. not for me, young Sounds Scott. Good. Yeah, but it was good. like." <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think the whole point of the book was so that young girls could identify with it, and I was like, "Oh, this mm -hmm. isn't for me." How'd that work Damn. out for you? How did it work no out? Sweat uh, <laughs> pooling between your uh, breasts or whatever. Well, I was a big kid, so actually I could identify with that. But <laughs> you probably could. <laughs> um, it's happening to me right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, but man, like if I, I, I kept thinking about like how great it would be to have a book in one of those now if it still existed. Like, just get it out there but i know the 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 conceit right like the conceit is and i've said this to Corey before like why don't we just publish through oni or something like that and he's like why and i go well because then like you know uh ostensibly like well then 
CBR will talk about it and it'll be in previews and the industry will know about it and people will talk yeah. about it. And then he goes, and then yep. we'll sell zero books and what's the point? And I go, well, people talked about it. <laughs> but it's fake, right? It's it's this illusion that something's happening with the book. Yeah. It's yeah. Di- and that's something that's really difficult. That's I mean, that's like that that online thing. You see it oh, a lot. where you see someone's Twitter and you're comparing their highlight reel to your behind the scenes shit. And you're oh, like, yeah, oh god, exactly, right? He's yeah. doing so much yeah. better than me. Right. I think yeah. the, I think the same thing happens with publishing when it comes to books. I mean, you see stuff at a publisher and you you just think to yourself, like Ah, they're just destroying. It's so amazing, you know, or they're getting a lot of coverage. And yeah. and I think sometimes there uh, is an, is some reality to that, that if somebody's getting a lot of coverage, they're they're also getting a lot of sales. But I, I would honestly say that a lot of the time it, the two don't correlate as closely as people think they do. No, and it's all bullshit. Like so and so is sold out. At the distributor right. level, yeah, we only <laughs> yeah, print, we only printed uh, yeah. two thousand copies, and of course you're sold out at the distributor level. Two thousand right. copies got ordered and went back to press. Yay! It's it's yeah, it's, it's easy, and it's it's easy is, to manufacture yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it is an illusion, isn't it? Like I meet, like like I meet people who, you know, have heard of my work who assume I must be a millionaire, right? right. Because they've heard of my work, right? And 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 I don't think. And, and, and even from creator to creator, like you say, there's often that kind of, you know, bit of professional jealousy that, you know, oh, that person's doing better than I obviously am or whatever. But you don't ever really know if they are or not. Well, I think that's you know? the there's there's two illusions happening. And, and this is true, I, I think, in a lot of uh, creative fields. Uh, and the first illusion is that um, somebody's selling so much like that book is going nuts and it's blowing yeah. up. I mean, clearly that that book is huge. And the second illusion is that book is huge. That guy must be making just bajillions of dollars. Uh, you know, they're a millionaire, they're swimming in money, uh, you know, uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck style. Right. Uh, <laughs> Does anyone really right. think that, you know what? A lot of people do. I I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people do, but the I reality, get the, I, I get the ivory tower thing a lot. I get the, I get the, well, that's easy for you to say, because you got to start when nothing was here yet and you didn't have any competition and it was all handed to you. I get that. Yeah. Like I get people that assume that which what is I a, have yeah, is totally different and a totally other. Right. They um, assume that I just kind of lucked into whatever, whatever success they perceive I have, that it just happened to me. Right. Yeah. That I, you know, that I get, or they forget that it's been 16 years of working to this, yes. but I don't really get a sense of what they think that I have. You know what it is and what is so interesting and and uh I see this in prose writing a lot with a lot of art, with a lot of authors I know. Somebody has a New York Times bestseller and everyone immediately is like, you know, oh, you're a new you're a New York Times bestseller. You're doing great. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, yeah. my my New York Times bestseller brought me in a median salary of like 33,000 that year. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what yeah. people don't and it's the same with comics. I think that's what people don't realize and and even like Scott like it you It used and, to be different. It did to some extent, um, but I don't think it's as different as people thought it'd be. And I and I think the only reason it was different was because the economy was so different that you know thirty or forty thousand dollars that used to ten fifteen years ago that used to be big money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and and, and not only 
not only that, but back what 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 Scott's talking about is you go back far enough, and there's no competition from the web, and something that's in print has a lot of entertainment dominance. Whereas today, there's so much competition for your entertainment dollar that it's 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 it gets spread out so far. It's really hard to make uh, everything meet up in the middle. Well, you know? now now too because of that the pie is is relatively the same size, but it's full, it's more full and it's getting cut up in more places. So if you have something that is successful that people view and they go, you must be a millionaire. It, in fact, you're making like, like minimum wage. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, with all seriousness, like when I sit down and crunch numbers, uh, you know, we're doing our taxes recently. I look at the numbers. I went, Hey, all right, we have uh, normal jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know what I mean? Like it used to be that if you go back in time a little <coughs> a little bit, you do have cartoonists that were millionaires. You know, the syndicated guys and it and it was like a situation like the Beatles, there was only a handful of guys that got to do it. Right. right. Yeah. But that's why I mean, Angie and I were having this discussion the other day watching TV. That's why there's a 50 shades of gray movie. Because I'm sitting here and I'm watching these what, ads for why? 50 sh- Hold on. How does this sign in? <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to connect that <laughs> yeah. dot for me. Yeah, I'm going to long, connect the dots. We're dot. sitting here and I'm like, they're showing these ads for Fifty Shades of Grey. And you're reading all these articles about how the actors, nobody really wanted to make the movie. Like, even the actors involved are very unhappy they're involved. It, yeah, you see them You see them in interviews and stuff. and they They're just, look just not. Yeah, and I said, I don't understand how this became a movie. Angie said, why? And I said, because it's Twilight fan fiction. Like, it's yeah. it's it's that's what it is. And she for, goes, for oh yeah, there's that's actually how it started. It that's started how it started. There are actual like there are actual there's she, actual real dialogue lifted from Twilight that's just verbatim in the book. Yeah, she was posting on uh, on a forum. And and Angie's like, it sold so much. I said, you know what it is? It's like all the suits that remember the halcyon days of those numbers saw a book and they went we're back we're back everybody oh shit it's happening again we're back making a movie (laughs) boy and they are really trying to hype that one into a hit too i mean the the press uh uh, uh, well onslaught is ridiculous but it did sell a shit ton of of books right like like 50 million copies a lot yeah that's unheard of yeah Yeah, it is unheard of yeah I mean that's that's big numbers. That's that's Harry Potter numbers. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I've got Harry Potter and and BSDM smushed together in my head. I don't know if that's, <laughs> not a that's good uh, yeah. It's just Hermione just spanking Harry over and it's over. It's gonna be again. an even bigger <laughs> seller. My yeah. Hermione. <laughs> Ron's in the background, like just watching. He's a watcher, right? He's just got a ball gag in his mouth. And he's just watching. The <laughs> Quidditch ball. Clearly, it's where Harry Potter needed to go once those guys grew up. You know, it's uh, it's where it's got to go next. Yeah, yeah. He puts he puts a glove. He hands Hermione a glove, and he says, "Find the snitch." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! If you catch it, then I come, and we all, we all cut that out and post. Cut that out and no, post. that's staying uh, in. <laughs> oh, oh man, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's this weird. I think there's a weird disconnect um, with that. And that's actually, Scott uh, Chandler, that's why I'm glad we got you on, on the show because you do, you know, you do well in the Canadian market, uh, in the book market, and, yep. and you are the, you, you know, you're the antithesis of that illusion. 
where it's like nobody nobody sees your name and goes oh that guy he must be he must be a millionaire at least not in america uh, whereas the opposite is also true for you where somebody sees you and they recognize some book of yours off a shelf and they go that person must be a millionaire yeah yeah it's 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 it's, it's a weird like I say, it's a weird, you know, to people who have heard of you, you're famous and must be super successful. And for people who haven't, it's like, you know, oh, you, oh, they still make comic books. You know, it's it's a very weird, you know. I wish world we could famous get, in Poland. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I wish yeah. we could get past that that they still make comic books thing. I think we're getting there. I think now that I think pop and I think we culture are too. are the same thing. People are accepting a little more of comics. Yeah, you know, it's really funny yeah. is we we. We I had this discussion with my dad when we were at Pack South. Yeah. Because I couldn't walk from the convention center to the mall without being stopped three times mm-hmm. because people recognize me. And dad's like, Wow, you really you really have come into a situation where you're recognizable. And I said, Well, we're here. Like th- yeah. this is my audience. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but we're not at the convention center. I'm like, yeah, but San Antonio is not normally this busy. This is everyone from the con. They're just out. And Brian goes, yeah, but you come to Dallas and we go to IHOP and someone recognizes you. Like you've gotten to that point. Yeah. And I said, you know what's funny is, is as true as that is, at the same time, my cousin will call me who I've known my whole life and he'll say, are you still making comics? And I go, yeah. And he <laughs> says, and this is a guy who sells produce. He's at a produce distribution center. That's his whole life. He studied agriculture. He went to Cal um, some agri- California agriculture school. And he's like, and you, and you just, and you make money off the ads. Yeah. We have ads on the website and you, and then I guess you make money selling books too and going to conventions. Yep. And he goes, neat. And it's, you know what? I kind of like that. I kind of love that. That, mm-hmm. the, really? that the salt of the earth blue collar guy is like, that's cool. Like you no, get, no, you, no, you, no, you no, no, no. You're misinterpreting how he said it. Ah, mm-hmm. I see. He I see. said it kind of like, okay, Scotty, you know, one right, day. Right, right, right. You know, like your poor father. You're going to have to get a real job sooner or later. <laughs> well, yeah. just, just like your poor father, yeah. Meanwhile, my brother, who understands it, thinks I'm rolling in money. He just thinks I'm rolling in money. because he has, he has the opposite opinion. Right, because what happens is Brian and my dad, we're such an open family. We're privy to everybody's business. Mm -hmm. We take care of each other and we give each other advice. So Brian sees, Brian hears gross numbers and he doesn't understand. He doesn't, but he never hears outgoing billables, right? Or or payments. Right, Right, right. So Brian just goes, Oh, he got that much for one ad? Well, that times 12. And it's like <laughs> the number of times the number of times that Angie and I have pulled him aside and go, "You make more money than us, asshole. We're not paying <laughs> this this meal. <laughs> Fuck you." <laughs> and he gets this big grin across his face. Like he's always like, "Well, you know, I can't move to Seattle because blah blah blah." We're like, "You made more you make twice as much money as we did when we moved here." Yeah. Just you. And Reagan's a nurse. Yeah. Pack your fucking bags. <laughs> so it's it's just a weird disp- but like and Scott, you tell me if you're comfortable answering this or not, because I don't wanna I don't wanna embarrass you or anything, but like you've you've obviously got a family, right? You've yep. got a couple yep. of kids, and cartooning is your only job. Does your wife work? Yes. Yeah. My wife has a very good job, thank goodness, because I am certainly not supporting anybody other than myself. <laughs> um she is uh 
Um, she she's a regional manager at Deafblind Ontario. She works with uh, people who are deaf and blind, which is uh, oh. she's like who was that woman who worked with Helen Keller, the miracle worker later lady? Mm-hmm. She's like that. Oh, she's um, deaf and blind yeah. spontaneously. Yes. So my my wife is an endlessly patient woman, which is uh, which is a good uh, a good thing if you're going to marry a cartoonist. <laughs> well, this is something that we talk about on the show all the time: is that there's this weird um, thought schism where you're either struggling and barely making it and poor but artistic, or right. you're successful as hell in a sellout, and no one wants to believe there's this middle section where yeah you're content. yeah happy and no one's you're not struggling but you know you wish you were making more sure everybody does sure we all would but but everyone's happy everyone's fulfilled everyone's getting bags of milk yep bags milk bags and that's that's a that's the true mark of success (laughs) i uh yeah i have always done well enough to keep going Mm -hmm. and that was you know all i really wanted so uh, you know, well, as long as that's true, I will keep going. Did you guys see this thing come across Facebook a couple, two or three weeks ago where it was uh, a writer was saying, the reason I can keep writing is because my husband has a great job. And I think it was a Slate.com uh, piece. And it, it gets passed around an awful lot with a little tag from people that say, so that's how they make their money. They married uh. well. Uh, and right. it, it, I, it, it's always it, when we get into these kind of conversations, I always want to kind of pull back a little bit and say, uh, it, of course, my wife works. And yes, she covers yeah. the health insurance. But then again, that only makes us like every other family in America, pretty much. We're right. both the husband yeah. and the wife or both partners. You want to know who you want to know who removed the, the any kind of imposter syndrome or guilt associated with that situation mm-hmm. for me? Who? Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I know where you're going. Go. He, he said in an article, he, he said everyone needs to remember that the idea of art being commercialized is only 200 years old, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. not going to last. It's this weird accident that happened, and it's going to go away. It used to be the patron system, and it's going to go back to that. And he says, I don't make money on movies. I sell wine so I can make the movies that I love. If right, Francis yeah. Ford Coppola or Coppola – is considers himself a winemaker so that he can earn the money to make the movies he wants, then it's okay that my wife works so we have health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Or you just move to Canada and you have the health insurance anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> listen, yeah. Right? Boom. Canada. <laughs> <laughs> if the Canadian Council for the Arts is not giving this man money. You're tempting me. You You're really tempting me. <laughs> Is there any place in Canada that's a lot like Seattle? I hear Vancouver's nice. I think Vancouver. I've never been to Seattle, but I imagine it's kind of like Vancouver. Toronto's, Toronto's a little like Seattle. Vancouver also. The problem with Toronto is I want to run into Jim Zubkovich all day, and that guy never shuts up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I he's love uh, to Toronto. Isn't he in Toronto? He's in Toronto. Yes, yeah. he is. Jim. I love that guy. Ray Fox. Every time, every time I see him, I end up at a karaoke bar. Really? <laughs> you're just walking yes. down the street and you bump into Zub <laughs> yeah, and he starts yeah. chatting and then you look at you know you go get coffee and you maybe have a bite and then you look up and you're in a fucking yeah. karaoke bar and you go god 
God damn it, Pretty Jim. soon it's How 3 a.m. How did this happen again? Yeah, pretty soon it's 3 a.m. You're doing karaoke drunk off your ass. I have a wife and a family I have to get back to. I have pages to cartoon. He's like, just one more song, just one more song. I'm Have telling you, best, my best oh, Okay, ever. don't be our regatto, Mr. Roboto. One just <laughs> for the last time. My best con experience of all time was when Zub roomed with us in Banff. When ca- the Calgary Expo would take you to Banff afterwards. Yeah. Select yep. few. Which was just like this amazing situation where we went to this the awesome convention in Calgary, yeah. which is like Texas and Canada, where everyone right. has money still. <laughs> Yes. And they walk up and they're like, thank you for coming to Canada. What do you got? And you go, well, I got this for 20, this for 15, that's for 30, that's 10. They go, okay, I'll take it. I'll take all of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what that show is like. Yeah, yeah I'll take it all. And then yeah. you went out for steak every night because it's the place is full of fucking steak. Yeah. Yep. And and then afterwards, they they flew a couple uh, of their guests uh, to Banff. We drove yeah. to Banff. And we all just had like a big comic book sleepover, and I roomed with Zub. And at one point, Zub shows up and he goes, "Hey, uh, Felicia Day gave me her bottle of Crown Royal, and we're all supposed to drink from it." And I'm like, "Okay." And so- sweet. <laughs> I remember waking up after getting drunk, and there was popcorn. You know that kind of like bagged popcorn with the cheese fuzz all over it. And it was yeah. everywhere in the room. I'm like, "What happened last night?" Zub <laughs> was showing us the first. Oh God, that was such a fun time. We'll never recapture that, Zub. I love. Uh, I love Banff. Banff is my favorite place in the world. It's so nice there. I was just there in October for a, a literary festival. It was actually kind of like a writers' retreat they have at, at the Banff Center for the Arts, and I've oh. been invited a couple times now, which is another nice thing. I'm sorry, you're, doing... you're a comic artist, and you're invited to literary retreats. Oh yeah, I do. I do more literary festivals than I do comic cons anymore. Listen to this, which is which is really nice. Which is really nice. Like it's, and you know, you get treated at these things, you know, really nicely. It's all expenses paid, and it's. But anyway, me and some of the biggest name authors in Canada are just you know kicking back at the Banff Center, and and there's nothing to do. They don't make you do anything. Mm -hmm. They just want to be able to say we have you know, this list of people here this weekend and, you know, they're, they're being artistic. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so, so, you know, we went on hikes and, you know, we drank. Did artsy and, things. Yeah, exactly. We, we, that was, that we was hiked the, and drunk and then we sat around and, and drank some more. Yeah. Banff, Banff, the scenery in Banff got me out of two really uncomfortable conversations. Really? Because, yes, because it's gorgeous. Like you're sitting there, you can't have a discussion anywhere where behind the person you're talking to is a Kincaid painting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so the first conversation was uh someone mentioned Frank Miller's Holy Terror book, and I'm like, and they're like, Oh, poor Frank, poor Frank. I'm like, what's up with Frank? They go, someone goes, Well, uh, his drinking problem is making his comics these days, and I went. Magnificent view, though. Magnificent view. Like, look at these mountains. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second time was a big conversation as we were walking, and someone was discussing how the Eisners are a joke because everything goes through Jackie Estrada, and she's picking like the his big uh, or her big problem was that Jackie's picking the people that are getting nominated, and Doug to Naples with his big cowboy hat that someone had given him and a pipe full of tobacco goes, sounds good to me. I know who to send chocolates and flowers to. I want my goddamn Eisner. And I'm like, but those mountains. Look at those right. mountains. 
Yeah. Look at those mountains <laughs> over there. Majestic view. Majestic. Those purple mountains. And the whole conversation would just stop and everyone would gaze in every distance. This, uh, yeah. This actually reminds me of something else about sort of the the you know book publishing side versus the comic side and the kind of sort of cliqueishness I was talking about before is that you know, like this this event at the Banff Center is a perfect example where they, you know, they had some you know, literary authors and some nonfiction authors and some kind of, you know, genre type authors and a performance artist and a couple of musicians. And, you know, they had me in, you know, to kind of be the cartooning side and, you know, all these people and, and, you, you know, we would hang out and there would just be this kind of general sort of, it's not that people in those industries don't have egos, but there's just, there was a certain amount of, you know, I, I just I couldn't imagine it in you know in in comics everything is so divided into kind of the superhero guys and the indie comics people and the and the and the web comics people and there's a, there's a lot of secret handshakes to know <laughs> and, and you know what I mean and and I, I like I said I've done this thing at the Bath Center twice and I'm always so impressed that all these people from so many different worlds you know just after half a day are kind of going out for drinks together and you know, respecting what each other do. And, and, and I don't, I don't know why the comics industry is so kind of high schoolish, but, um, it's, it's, it's weird. weird. It's weird to me. I think a lot of it is imagined though, too. I think you can, I think that if you are a little flounder from animal house, you can break those. I, I think it's just a matter of walking up and going like, you guys playing cards? <laughs> <laughs> It really, yeah, but it really, it, yeah. Every time I've been yeah. in one of those situations where I felt like I was the outcast and 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 they were, you know, kind of standing off from me. When I when I warmed up to the situation and the ice was broken, I usually find out that those other people were assuming that they were the outcasts. You know, right, everybody right. kind of has yeah. that that mental thing that I, I think we categorize ourselves more uh, more than we categorize other people you know i think I mean? that's right. a good point it is sort of an industry of of introverts and and uh <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, I think like you say I, i've kind of learned that trick too to, to sort of bring other people in you know as much as i can yeah uh because yeah. i think that i think that helps i think i think uh, sometimes you need that for sure yeah i think people always say oh i can't draw i can't draw a straight line and i said oh you don't need to draw a straight line to be a cartoonist that's what rulers are for but you do need an anxiety disorder or so <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh, for sure but brad remember remember at c2e2 when i told you i'm gonna go meet jim lee fuck that i'm gonna go say hi <laughs> do you yeah. remember that yes then afterwards i'm like did I meet Jim Lee before and forget about it? <laughs> I mean, but like, what are the odds? My favorite, my favorite story, was that the, 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 when you walked into the restroom, I, was that Chicago where you walked into the restroom with uh, Walter Simonson? No, that and was. Said, I can't, that I was can't believe I'm, I'm peeing next to Walt Simonson. <laughs> and he goes, how do you think I feel? <laughs> now, Walt is everybody's grandpa. That's awesome. Walt is the nicest guy I've ever met in comics. Did I ever tell you about about Walt? The, my one. Uh, oh. So we're at the Harvey Awards, and they wanted me to come and and help uh, give away one of the awards. And I'm sitting at a table, and I sit down, and uh, they because they were nice enough to give me dinner. 
and I sit down and I'm right across from Walt Simonson. And I and in, in the eighties, I collected Thor nonstop. There's he and Louise sitting right across from me, and I am just sharpening up my wit, sharpening my tongue, ready to be uh, sparkling and 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 ha- and and have a great conversation. And we we it, the dinner gets served, and I I looked over at him. I said, oh, I, I got to tell you, it's it's so great to finally meet you. And he looks over at me, and he pauses for a little bit, and then he takes a couple bites, and and then he looks over at me and says. I gotta, I gotta apologize to you, whoever you are. Uh, I can't hear really well, and there's so much background noise here. We're never going to be able to talk. <laughs> and you know what? Speaking as somebody, and, and I made it, I make it clear a, a long time ago. Uh, my hearing ain't great either. I not only, not only got what he was talking about, but I appreciated the hell out of him telling me up front, so I didn't talk to him the entire weekend and uh, right. not get a response and and think the wrong thing. I think it would be funny if he had gone, sorry, I can't hear very well. I'll never understand you. And you went, huh? <laughs> and he went, what? <laughs> it's just Geiger and Simonson going, huh, at each other. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, uh, con stories. They're good. No, I, think, I mean, I think that's it is. the thing that brings. I think that's why people want to do conventions. I, I honestly is that do. stuff? Yeah, I, I think it's the, you know, uh, I I worked with a lot of creators over the years and been one of the people that helped them like get hotel rooms and get to shows and stuff. And they're always worried about having a book at a show. And I think the reason why is because they want they want to go up to the to to their peers and be like, "What's your book? Let me see your book. I want to see your book." And they're swapping books when a lot of times, and I would say even nine times out of ten. Killing yourself to get a book for a show isn't actually going to do you any good. Mm-mm. Yeah. And people don't realize that, but it's like just crushing yourself to have that book done for that show. And I'm sure there are plenty of people that look at their numbers and go, oh, I got sales numbers to prove it. It's like, yeah, but take those sales numbers and put them against the time and the energy you destroyed yourself doing that book. And then put them against the, you know, the overnight shipping. Cost from of air China. shipping 50. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and yeah. ask yourself, was it? Was it, you know, was it worth it? And I'm not saying don't try and line up your books with shows because obviously you're going to sell new books and make money. But uh, I know far too many people that realize that they have a con coming up and just crush themselves. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the reason they want to have, they only see their peers a couple times a year and they want to have those interactions. That's the thing is I, I'm, I kind of have missed, I, I haven't done like a big sort of corporate comic convention in Since probably like two years. right? Yeah, so I'm I'm actually doing C2E2 this year for the first oh. time just because, and it, you know, it's not really my crowd, but like I say, I want to cast a, a wide net. I'm going to try to, from now on, do like a sort of big American con at least once a year. And just like you say, to kind of see people, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't even know what I'm going to sell, but I just, you know, there there are a ton of those kind of Midwestern creators who are pals that I haven't seen in years, and i just like, yeah. And I miss the pizza. I miss the pizza in Chicago. <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> you remember that pizza, Scott? Fuck yeah, yeah I do. Oh, Hell God. yes. I think that... Uh, Those are the two good things about that show, was I meeting Jim was, Lee and that pizza. That I think it's important go. for True. creators to get together. <laughs> I think it's important for creators to do shows, but I, I have you noticed this trend now lately, and, and I love it, where like it used to be that there was just a couple of, you know, quote-unquote studios in America of cartoonists getting together, and now they're everywhere, which yeah. is awesome. 
It's yeah. just anytime there's a group of cartoonists in a city, somebody's like, hey, let's all rent an office. Yeah. That is becoming more and more prevalent, isn't it? They should. I encourage people to. I mean, we mm. wrote and this we is the, a virtual yeah. office. This is the one thing I don't I, – I live about an hour and a half from Toronto, and I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I, like I like great, Toronto, but Toronto I'm just not – yeah, I'm just not kind of a big city. You know, I like living in a city, but a medium-sized city is fine. Um, uh, is that there's there's really no other comics pros around here? A town yeah. over there's there's Seth and Jay Stevens, and there, there are some guys kind of in the general area, but not not close enough that we'd all take out studio space together. Um, which is kind of too bad. I, I miss that kind of you know going for you know uh, you know lunch and coffee and stuff with with other creators would you know kind of be nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for creators to have interactions. I know that that online people feel like they're having interactions. I I would argue that you're not having the it's same con- you're you're not having the same kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah, we that's run a different. A, yeah, we run yeah. a virtual office. Actually, like we have software that allows us to come into an office and have a little uh, avatar. I mean, it's basically yeah. a smiley face. It's not like nothing fancy, but we were able to talk and share screens and. Uh, you know, go to different rooms and work on projects. And that, I think that has made a huge change in the way that we work. It um, has, yeah. but it's still not the same it's as like still when I'm not up the at Periscope. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as close as you can get working virtually, but, um, you know, Scott comes down maybe once a month and we go work out of Periscope for a few days just to, just for human interaction purposes. <laughs> yeah. But there's, yeah. there's pros and cons to that. Sure. I mean, yeah, you know, you start getting around other people and there's, there's, uh, the politics of, of, Working with someone, working oh, with sure. people. There's always going to be personality. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. It depends a lot on who the other people are, for sure. It's. Sure. Uh, I mean, I used to I used to work in an office before I became a freelance artist, and and I do not miss it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it would have to be like I say, it would have to be artists, and probably not too many of them, and would have to be sort of the right group of people. It's like it's like living with people, right? It's like it's like roommates almost. It's got to be the right the right combination of personalities, I'm sure. I think that's something I mean, that, that cartoonists are Oops. missing. Go ahead, Scott. I've been working from home by myself for a year now. Yeah. And there's things about it that, uh, about working with other people that I really miss, but there's also things about working with other people that I don't really miss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's half a dozen of yeah. six, one half dozen of another. Yeah. You, 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 you certainly gain a lot of, Time. I mean, you know, not having to go to meetings or having a boss nattering in your ear all day long or whatever. Like I do, I've been I've been a work at home freelancer uh, for 15 years, and like I say, I, I kind of remember working in an office in the 90s and how little I would get done. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're doing just enough to not get fired. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and 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 one of the things that struck me about freelancing from home was how much I was able to get done in a day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You're you're probably packing 2 hours at an office into every hour at home. It's probably double the amount of work you're getting done. It it has it has the potential for the opposite effect though too when you're at home. well that's true you can get there half is. as much work done because there's twice yeah. as many ex- distractions and you have to set yourself up into a scenario in which it's like all right yeah. nothing is going to go wrong I am a hundred percent focused I am laser focused yeah right now. there is a lot uh, a lot of self discipline is required because there is an internet 
and you know there is all sorts of things to distract you. I've, that's true. I figured out if you don't want to work, yeah. If you don't want to work, no one's going to call you on it. Uh, I've figured out a secret to the internet thing. Yeah. So there, there. If you go to whatever your device is that's attached to the internet, and if it's wireless, there's another device that's talking to it. Uh, that's called a router. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and then you follow those cords toward the wall. There's a thing called a modem, and you just unplug it. Yeah, it's crazy. You just really, just unplug everything. Yeah, just just uh, well, you just got to go to the modem, the power source, and just pull it out of the wall. Sometimes the modem has a battery, in which case you want to unplug the the Cat Five cable. That'll have the same effect. Wow, I don't, Hold I don't have to Does go that, really that far. As it does. To... It does really work. <laughs> I don't ever go that far as to unplug things because I like to have stuff on while I'm working, like your podcast, for instance. Uh, you don't say. Um, and uh, and you know that that kind of stuff. You know, I'll I'll stream you know documentaries or music or you know something on while I'm working. But I try to. Uh, I'm I'm usually pretty good. Like I say, I've been at this a long time, so I'm pretty good about you know. Uh, and I you know I also do work that I actually like to do, so it's uh, it's it's uh, enough to be able to stay focused on it i think that's i will say this it sent for uh, about three years ago uh when my kids uh, my my kids started going to the school in this neighborhood that was uh, a little bit of a trek away from our neighborhood uh, i realized that i couldn't keep driving them to school and driving all the way back to our house and i got a studio at a a really affordable rate uh, near their school and working out of the house has been huge for me because I don't get the temptation to go downstairs and do laundry or go downstairs and do the dish. I mean, everything that I do once I walk into this one room is just focused on getting work done, you know? Yep. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that being a, I've never worked work done when um, you work, when your studio is in murder town. (laughs) Right. <laughs> step outside, you'll be I, I keep my You're just trying to keep head your head down. down. I don't yeah. go by the windows, you know. I, I, it's it's very good for staying focused. <laughs> Listen, I've got a routine. I come in in the morning, I take off the Kevlar vest, and then my day begins. I do the whole uh, Mr. Rogers thing, but it's it's got a very different feel. That's funny. You got to get out of there, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for it. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm I'm pretty strict about sort of hours. Like, I, I'm I'm pretty strict what hours are specifically work hours, and which hours are specifically not work hours. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. It took a long time to learn that because you know when you're a freelancer, you will end up like you say you you can end up just kind of spending all day, you know you know, watching afternoon TV or whatever, but you can also go the other way and just work far too much. I know a lot of people in comics who are working just way too hard and are going to burn out. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very strict about, okay, these are work hours. These are not, doesn't matter how far behind schedule I am. I do not dip into the non-work hours. Are you working and, digitally or are you still working in a physical media? Um, I'm still doing a little, bo- a little bit of both. I still draw by hand. I still, I, I've tried digital inking and stuff and I, I can't quite, you know, I still, I still love the feel of a brush, but, um, you know, coloring, lettering, you know, any kind of effects are definitely being done digitally. I know a lot of artists so. who are still working physically that I know would be three or even four times faster if they would just switch to digital. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Don't do that to him. <laughs> Brian, Brian Hurt. I'm yeah, I'm pretty fast. <laughs> I like like I'm pretty fast as it is. And uh yeah. I, you know, I've, I've I've thought about it. Like I said, I've definitely kind of played around uh with manga studio and stuff for for penciling and inking and, and like I say, I just I don't like it. If it felt if it felt better, I you know, I might make the switch, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm never giving up the brush, I don't think. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Something about the drag that just the drag of the brush on the paper is just so you know, I'm I'm in love with it. I want to marry it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. I'm jealous. Yes. I'm jealous. <laughs> Fifty shades of brush. <laughs> Fifty shades of brush. <laughs> Boo. What would it be? Fifty uh, thicknesses of nib. It's just fifty shades of gray. You already have. It's I, already. I know, but it's okay. How does that work? It doesn't work. It's got to be fifty gray. Fifty shades of gray wash. There you go. That's what it is. Fifty shades of gray wash. So. Right. Uh, Mr. Chandler, we have uh, five questions that we ask guests who come on our show. Okay. Uh, and I would like to ask them of you. Don't worry. This is terrible. It's awful. It's <laughs> the, the problem is I don't remember all of them. <laughs> oh, I, I know it. I know. Well, you're going to want to remember. Uh, or just make them up. I don't care. Make well, up five new questions. I remember just four make. of the five. So I'm going I'm to ask, ask you the first one. You're going to do What's great. your sink? That's what? one of them. Sink. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. The first question is uh, define for us success. Oh. Um. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I talked earlier about sort of you know having always made enough money to sort of keep going, and that to me, you know, I mean, you know, you can dream about some kind of lottery win, giant hit that's going to make you rich, but. Um, you know, to me, like I'm doing exactly, you know, what I, I always kind of wanted to be Will Eisner. That was always my, my, my hero, mm-hmm. um, you know, to own my own work and, you know, do projects that were interesting uh, and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think in, in a way, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of living it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm doing, doing the books I want to do, books that I own and, they're doing well enough for me to do another one, you know? And, and I guess if the, if the books were doing slightly better though, I could take the summers off and, and, and <laughs> go on canoe adventures into the Canadian wilderness uh, with bagged milk. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think that's it to me is just to be able to, to keep going and do stuff that you, uh, that, that you actually want to do. Bagged milk, got it. Next yeah, question. Bagged, bagged milk ah. is the, the, the button on that answer. Bagged milk is the yeah. <laughs> if you can uh, afford some bagged milk, you got it all, kid. Um, tell us about your greatest failure. Um, I, I I hate to say it for fear that we will talk about it. But you you will know exactly what I mean when I say Tech Jansen. Oh God! Really? You you remember the you remember uh, the Tech Jansen? Were, were, were you at Oni during the Tech Jansen? I was phase? I was at Oni during yeah. the Tech Jansen phase. Yeah, that is the only 
I've had a real, I've had a pretty good run in comics and some pretty good experiences. And that is the only thing that I think if I could go back in time, I would just, uh, do you, was it a bad working experience or stay away from, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that, that was a terrible few months that produced what I consider one of the worst comics ever, uh, (laughs) produced. Whoa. (laughs) It was a rough process. I, I, I will admit. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a rough process. If you if you're unfamiliar, the um the Tech Jansen comics were comics based on Stephen Colbert's alter persona of Tech Jansen from the Colbert Show. Yeah, it it was like a it was like a joke, a one off joke in the Colbert Show, and Oni had convinced them that they should let us do some comics on it, and it it was just and I should say yeah, and I should say it's no it's no reflection on Oni. I love the Oni guys to this day. It was just they are they are great guys, but it was just I think doing licensed comics in general is uh, is something you need a, a strong stomach for. And uh, I, I was I was not prepared for uh, how strong a stomach. <laughs> so <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. So as a guy as a guy who doesn't particularly like to be told what to do, that's why I'm a freelancer who does creator owned <laughs> comics, uh, licensed comics, not for me. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move along. Uh, what, what's your process? Um, uh, I, I'm. It still kind of changes a bit from book to book. Um, I generally write full script, which some people are kind of surprised about. You know, when you draw your own stuff, but I just like to. I, I like to take a pass where I'm just thinking purely about story about plot, structure, character, theme, all that stuff, um, you know, before I get into the visuals. It's funny to me that you say that people find that strange because I find the opposite strange. Do you? I know so many cartoonists who can't believe I write full script. Yeah, I know so many cartoonists who don't write a full script and then get three quarters of the way through their work and have to go back and and redo stuff or make some huge changes or realize that if I had only done fill in the blank that this, this thing in the fourth act would be so much stronger. Yeah, and that's that's my argument is I I want that story thought through a couple times, you know, uh, and 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 you know I certainly make tweaks as I go along, you know. When I get to the art, I very much think of that as the next draft of the story, but right. I just I want it, I want the story working and and ticking along nicely before I you know get to that phase uh, for sure. So you know I'll I'm certainly not married to the script, but I want that I want that groundwork for sure. And then, like I say, I, I do, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, once I get to the visual stage, I'll go through my script and make, you know, little thumbnails all over everything. It's a trick I learned in animation called, I call it finding the drama, where I, I take each panel and I'll try it from, you know, three or four different, you know, camera angles or, you know, whatever, just a couple of different ways. And then I'll, I'll go through and circle the ones that I like, and then you know those will get assembled into a rough for the page. Um, then I'll lightbox that lightbox that page in blue line where I'll you know actually do you know nice drawing hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, then like I say, I still ink traditionally. Then scan those pages, you know color if it's a color project and and lettering um, uh, digitally. 
And, uh, I, and I guess that's the process. That's pretty impressive. I, yeah. I don't think a lot of people are doing that much, uh, that many steps, that much work on their stuff anymore. Yeah. Do you feel, do like you feel a, a bit like a traditionalist with the light board and everything? Um, no, I mean, are, you know, have people, yeah, I guess, I guess a lot of people are doing that stuff. Uh, like they're, they're printing out blue line versions of their rough, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and sort you of, can yeah. Even, you can even print blue line onto Bristol now. And you yeah, can yeah. Straight onto it. Well, like I say, I change it up a little bit every time. Maybe I'll try that next. Go but, for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. May as well. Question. But yeah, I just, I just, I find the more steps, the more opportunity I have for, you know, revisions and you know, polishing, and you know, I find as long as it's getting a little better every step, that that I'm not wasting my time. If I didn't it's feel that, yeah. If almost I didn't like, feel almost that like way. editing a book, like it's like another pass every yeah, step. Exactly. Pass. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I always, I always feel the book's getting better every every pass. Yeah. So, uh, and like I say, I, if if I didn't feel that way, I'd I'd try to cut out a step or two. But uh, it works for me, and like I say, I, I I'm able to to still be fairly quick at it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what's your What's your trick? Oh, um, uh, maybe other people do this too, but, uh, I, I ink the most difficult scenes first. (laughs) I don't, when when I, I I always draw, (laughs) I always draw the, I always draw the story in order. I start with the first page and end with the last page. When it comes to inking, I will, order the pages or, or at least scenes in such a way that, you know, I start out with the crowd scenes and the complicated backgrounds and whatever else. Cause when you're toward the end, especially if it's a big book, you know, and, and that deadline is bearing down on you, yeah. you do not want to be inking the crowd scenes and, and, and stuff then. So that's I a, always think that's a, that's a doing great those real point. Quick yeah. 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 So my, you know, if young artists are looking for any kind of practical advice, you know, I would say start with the, you know, that's something I've just always done. I start with the hard stuff and I work my way to the easiest stuff. And that way, when you, when the deadline is bearing down on you, you know, you've got just the easiest pages left. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. That reminds me of of something that happened to me recently. It's a dumb little story. But I always tell everyone that the only reason I'm still cartooning is because I'm still trying to impress Angie. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> right. Like if Angie passes away before me, you can I'll just quit. Because I was really only trying to impress her the whole time. <laughs> but uh I had this double page spread that Brian Hurt, uh, who works on Table Titans with me, he had he had broken down and did the pencils for because my my skill set is not there yet to draw a scene of a thousand orcs fighting two hundred dwarves on my own, and he he had kind of had broken it down for me, and and so I went back and penciled it uh, over his breakdowns, and now it was time to ink it. And Angie came in and saw it and said, "Wow," and I go, "Yeah, this is not a multiple day project either." She goes, "Really?" And I said, "No, man. Once I start this." This is like um this is like uh pushing something up a hill. You got to get the momentum and then you can't stop till you're at yeah. the top. 
like once I start, I cannot stop until it's done. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to be bad. And yeah. so I said, so I've made myself a pot of coffee and I'm going to go. And she she looked over my shoulder and she started to rub my back. And she I looked up at her and she was smiling at me. And I could see that she was proud of me. Like, yeah. wow, he's really turned a corner. Like, he's growing up. <laughs> and but it was, but like, it, she had seen, uh, I don't know, it was like, you know, we're in, we're, he's in his 40s now and he's looking at it like a professional and, He's really gotten to a point in his craft where he knows things. Like she was proud of me, mm-hmm. but but like it's such a stupid thing for her to to have been uh, impressed by. But um, it was anyway. It was a nice moment. But yeah, <laughs> it's there are little tricks like that, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. You, you definitely figure that kind of stuff out. You know, the the longer you're at it, yeah, it's. Uh... Yeah, I, I've done so many, like very early in my career, when when I was first trying to break in, really, I had, this is maybe where I figured out the ink the hard stuff first. My first real job in comics, my first real paying gig in comics, there was some, uh, I can't even remember what the series was at Caliber Comics back in the 90s, but some some artist had bailed on a story um, and they wanted me to finish it. And they sent me the guy's pages and he basically had the whole he, he he had like a like a board for each page in the story but he had gone in and just drawn the interesting panels <laughs> and then obviously got bored with the you know actual storytelling work that had to go on in between yeah. so he left he, he he left this 12 page story with you know a panel or two finished on each page and the rest just kind of roughed in and then, like I say, he he got bored and disappeared. So I had to go in and draw all of the sort of actual storytelling panels. And and I thought, well, that was stupid as this guy. You know, he drew all of his favorite panels first, and then, of course, he got bored. You know, he didn't leave himself, you know, there's got to be dessert at the end. You got to be, <laughs> you know, working towards something. He so, ate his cake and then moved his way to the Brussels sprouts, and now he's Yeah, exactly, about. exactly. So... You know, you eat your vegetables first, and then you work your way to the chocolate cake. So, <laughs> chocolate cake with your bag of yeah. milk. That's... Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that uh, may be where I that may be where I first figured that out. Because last... that guy did it wrong. <laughs> he did it in reverse. Yeah. Uh, last thing for us and and for our audience, uh, give us one piece of advice. Oh, uh, other than ink the hard stuff first. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tricked you. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, one piece of advice. Um, I think I, I think I touched on it earlier. Was it, it would probably be to schedule your time in such a way that you don't work too much. Like I said, this. Especially if you get on social media and stuff, everyone in comics is talking about how hard they're working, and and maybe if they're on social media, they're not actually working that hard. But I do I do worry about some people, and I definitely fell into that in my 30s. I was nearly 30 by the time I broke into comics, and I really felt well, I gotta I gotta make up for lost time. I gotta you know I gotta grab this bull by the horns and and ride it. Um, and and so I just went. Like I said, when I was working on two generals, I was, you know, working 80, 90 hours a week for, for years on end. And, and 
it was not good for anybody. It was not, you know, I don't even, it was not good for my health. It was not good for my marriage. It was not good for, you know, the house was falling apart. And I don't even think it was that good for the book, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, like, I don't think when, when you're, when you're bleary eyed and tired, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you're doing your best work at all. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I think my recommendation would be, and like I said, I, I already kind of said this, but, um, you know, schedule, make a schedule and stick to it. And during your work hours, work. And during your non-work hours, don't work. That's <laughs> you know, it's That's it's important. tough because yeah. we all we all love what we do, right? And I know there's a half-finished comic at any given time, you know, on the drawing table downstairs. Mm-hmm. And you know, if there's nothing going on, it's tempting to go, you know, work on it. But you know, God, that's so crazy that you said yeah. that, Corey. Remember how you said, "Oh, you want to get back to that thing you want to draw? You were drawing yeah. this morning. I last night after work hours, Angie, my wife still works on Central Time, so she goes to bed at eight at night because she's up at 4 a.m. here on yeah. the west coast and so there's a couple hours where some nights i just don't want to go to bed at eight <laughs> and she yeah. goes she goes you staying up and i go yeah i can't decide if i want to go play some world of warcraft or if i want to go back and keep drawing and she goes go play warcraft yeah, yeah. and yeah. uh and i'm so glad she told me to do that but yeah. you know god i can't tell you how important that is because have you seen – did you see Jason Latour do a whole series of Twitter c- c- convincing comic pros that are of the Mike Raringo, um, Brian Hurt variety who just draw and draw and draw all hours of the night, yeah. do all kinds of crazy stuff to meet their deadlines to start taking care of themselves because uh, – who was the one that just had a stroke? Young guy. Bregfoil, oh. Norm Bregfoil just had a stroke. Oh, oh, Bregfoil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I heard about and, that. It was terrible. Yeah, and it's like I remember I remember one um <laughs> I remember one uh, uh Heroes Con, the one the one con I went to, I stayed with where Ringo and he had a really bad back problem, so he had a really hard time sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so he would go to sleep at night you know, midnight, 1 a.m. after he was done drawing, couldn't sleep, then would sit in a chair in his bedroom to get a couple hours of sleep, and then he would take, which was essentially the time, the equivalent of like a five-hour energy. Yeah. But the the pills, what were those mm-hmm. pills? Yeah. Um, to finish his work. When you and, get to the point where you're taking pills... I, I I think that's a clear well, sign to stop. And I would argue, you know, they switched yeah. from pills now and now they do energy drinks. It used to be pills. Yeah. And everyone goes, yeah. oh, pills, it's drugs, it's dangerous. It's the, it's the exact same stuff yeah. that is in those energy yeah. drinks. Well, yeah. you, you, have to, you have to keep in mind that like Kirkman and I were at Mike's funeral going, Jesus Christ, you know, he dropped dead of a heart attack at 44. Do you think it was those pills? Should we yeah. say something? And we finally went to his brother and said, do you think it was those pills? And he goes, no, it wasn't. I, that was the first question we asked. It was his yeah. it. But like that was our concern. Like did he work himself to death? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, between yeah. not sleeping and, and all, you know, all of it. And it's like you've got to – you've got to – and then on top of it, you know, most of us grew up with this being what we did for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's hard exactly. to find a stopping point. And the other exactly. thing is if you don't etch out those hours for yourself, if you don't set those boundaries, yep. then you'll say to yourself, 
I'll surf the web because I can keep drawing later. Like I don't have to go to bed. I can stay. I found having yeah. I found having kids helps. Yeah. <laughs> your your kids your kids want your attention and you want to give it to them. So Ooh, you yeah. know like like that, that's the kids, what did it for me too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. The um. I also found. Uh, uh, I think we're all probably fairly close to the same age, but I found I found once I got into my forties. I kind of use that as an excuse to pump the brake a little, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I kind of broke in when, you know, I was about 30 and I went crazy for a decade and pumped books out. Uh, and you know, by the time I was 40, I was like, okay, you know, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I think I could maybe slow down a little now. Um, so I, I actually, like, I, now that yeah. you're in your forties, you have come into your own. Like, yeah, don't you yeah. feel like you're a fully formed person now? Like, okay, now I can make comics. It's funny. I don't know why I feel yeah. that way, but I do. You know, it's it's interesting, too, because I, as a young guy in my 30s, you old uh-huh. man. Young uh, buck. <laughs> <laughs> not by much, but as a young guy in my 30s, um, I think there's too much emphasis right now put on, on particularly on 20-year-olds, on 20-somethings, to, like, make something of themselves. Yes. I, my, you got the time. I would say to all my 20-year-old friends who are, who are trying to break in and be cartoonists, keep doing it. Don't stop. But yeah. now's your chance to you know, go, go live in the Philippines for $15 a day and be a cartoonist because you can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, go yeah, live, you don't go have live. anything tying you down yeah. at this point in your life. Go live in the French yeah. countryside and draw out, outside and work in a cafe. Like, do yeah. those things. Do those experiences because now's the time where you can do them it's not that you can't do them later you can but by that's the thing is like everyone thinks there's this one moment there's a single moment where you break into comics and it's a million yeah exactly thousands of little moments i mean that's the i mean i keep i know i keep telling the story it's like i'm name dropping but the reason why i keep telling the story is because that was the moment where i realized that i broke into comics without realizing it but and brad was there he witnessed it but we were (laughs) at c2e2 we're all at a bar and I see Jim Lee and Heidi McDonald and I think Dean Haspiel, a bunch of guys talking. And I said to Brett, I'm, you know, I'm like throwing back drinks. Like I'm going to find the courage. I'm going to go say, I'm going to go introduce myself. To yeah. And I had just written this big blog post um, about how comiXology was stupid and digital comics should be priced at like, it should either be a subscription like Netflix or they should be, you know, 50 cents. Mm, you know, there's yeah. no need for it to be the same price as the newsstand. And I just wrote this big, long fucking dissertation where I'm the angry cartoonist that knows what the score. But, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. Um, so I said to Brad, fuck it. I'm just going to go up and I'm going to say hi. And so I walk up and someone else is talking to him and he kind of sees me and realizes I want to say hi. And now I'm debating whether to bail or not. But Brad's behind me. And so I go – Finally, the moment approaches, and I say, Mr. Lee, my name is Scott Kurtz. I just want to say I'm a giant fan. He goes, Scott, shut the fuck up. Hey, about your blog. Now, listen, I think – I don't think 22 cents is the way to go, but what I'm thinking is if it's like a buck ninety nine, like it was half the newsstand price, and I look at Brad, and I'm like, did I meet Jim Lee at some point? What's happening? And Brad, I think, if I recall correctly, didn't you say something like, I thought you didn't know him or something yeah, like that? yeah. Yeah, because the like, way you had been acting, it's like, uh, were you pulling my leg or what? You know. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't remember <laughs> meeting Jim. I unless I forgot about it. Did I meet him while falling down? And then I hit my head. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, <laughs> hey, Jim Lee, nice to meet. Bang. 
Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Look out! Uh, <laughs> but that's the thing, like, I guess I broke, somewhere along the lines, I broke into comics without realizing it. Like, it just happens over yeah. a body of work. No, I was when I was a, when I was a kid. Yeah. When I was a kid, I thought there was like a time where the phone was going to ring and it would be yes. Marvel Comics and then, you know, you would have a career in comics. And and maybe it still happens that way for for somebody, but but like you say for for me it has been such an incremental just tiny little baby steps. Like, I, like you know, every year I've done a little better than the year before, and that's. I don't yeah. think you know, I know a single cartoonist that has who got that call. Some kind of break. No, well, I know people who've yeah. gotten the call. And oh, like, okay. Oh, it's Marvel. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a cartoonist, and then ten years later, they're respected as a cartoonist after ten Mr. years. Chandler, this is yeah. John Comics. I'm right. Not, this is the call. <laughs> Welcome. This is Stanley. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Excelsior, welcome to comics. Uh, well, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you did it. I, you know, I yep. think that's an important piece of advice, though, is to take... I, I know for me it was weekends. I used to, especially when a lot of my job revolves around emails. They're the bane of my existence. Yeah. I hate them. And in order to get actual work done, I have to ignore them to get jobs done and then come back and see that they've just built up and they hate me. And, yeah. uh, and each of them is a, is a potential new job. Right. So, yeah. uh, it, the invention of smartphones wrecked me because now my email is with me all the time. Yeah. So anytime you're just on a bus or, you know, laying in bed or whatever, you can answer a couple of emails, which is essentially working. And at some yeah. point I realized I can't do that. Like I have to, I actually set times for yeah. me to deal with emails and yeah. and it was weekends like i had to stop working on the weekends entirely yeah uh, and i i started a couple years ago i started taking weekends off that was how i got the time back the first still, the first couple are hard yeah. though right they were for yes. me the first couple of weekends yeah, it it's took, like you're yeah. freaking out there was a few times i said okay i'm not working weekends anymore and a book would get behind schedule or something and i'd end up work, working weekends well there's a difference between so crunch it, it, time it took a while to get weekends. into the yeah. habit and to be able to say no, you know, I don't care. Um, but but yeah, like I'll I'll work like a dog during the week. You know, I'll, I'll put in you know ten twelve hours a day at the drawing board during the week. Right. But the week the weekends are mine. The computer goes off. I rarely look at my phone. The weekends are for my kids and for going out and for you know getting stuff done around the house and for anything that isn't work. I think for and, for cartoonists, use the weekends to draw stuff that is not the work yeah go, go out yeah. leave and yeah. draw on your physical medium get it you know do uh, hi scott and you've yeah. noticed this too a bunch of cartoonists who are like big time cartoonists don't have sketchbooks because they're oh, spending, I never had sketchbooks. yeah like you never had a sketch because they're spending all their time drawing for work but like when do you and not that work yeah. isn't fun but at some point you got to draw for fun that's exactly. how well, you're, yeah that's how you, you know your art. it's how your art changes Scott Sava nominated me for this thing that's going around on Facebook. It's the, it's like the five days, five years art thing. And what you're supposed to do is like over the course of three days, you post five pieces of art from the last five years or something. And it's like everyone's posting all this stuff they've done and paintings they've done. It's like, hey, if you want to see the art I've done for the last five years, it's <laughs> pvponline.com. <laughs> like I that. haven't done anything else. There's nothing for me to post. I already posted it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything. I it's, don't work they, that way. 
I've been it's trying sad. to sketch more. I've I've been one of those guys for years who you know, uh, you know, was so busy with sort of work, work that that I never uh, sort of really had a sketchbook or anything. I've been the last last little while I've been sort of getting back to it. Since especially since I've been taking weekends off, like you say, has been you know, there's there's sometimes when I actually want to draw for fun now again, which has been kind of mm-hmm. nice. And I'll say this also is that I found you know, limiting my hours a little bit, I work better during those hours. Back when I was working straight through the weekend, you know, by Thursday, I'd kind of be slacking off because I'd be telling myself, oh, you know, I'll, I'll catch up on the weekend, whatever. When you take that away, suddenly I find at least I make better use of the hours I do work. It's the old work smarter, not harder right. uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. I found yeah. that too. Stopping, yeah. stopping work on the weekends, I was more energized coming into the week on Monday yep. and Tuesday. I got more done. But it's like yeah. your brain has time to process things and think about what, you know, what stuff you want to do and what order you want to do it. Absolutely. Well, All Mr. Right. Chandler, thank you so much. Uh, for coming to talk to us, my man. Hey, nice to talk to you again, Corey. And I appreciate the uh, invite to come uh, chat with you guys. Like I say, I, I've uh, been listening to the podcast and, uh, you know, uh, helping uh, fill the time at the drawing board with you guys. <laughs> so uh, keep it up. It's like we're always with you. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was really great having you on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, drink I appreciate a, it, guys. Take a bag yeah, of milk thanks. for us. I will do. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drink several <laughs> and enjoy some uh, socialized health care. Damn, I got to Google this. I might have to move <laughs> to Canada. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening this week. If you like what you heard, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash surviving creativity. Consider becoming a patron. Remember too, you can also find us on iTunes, add the podcast to your favorites, and you'll get an update every single time we put up an episode. Thank you so much to Scott Chandler. On behalf of myself, Scott Kurtz, and Brad Geiger, we'll see you next week on Surviving Creativity.